Welcome to Conversations with Owens Community College President, Dr. Dion D. Somerville. Welcome to the newest episode of the Conversations Podcast. I'm Dr. Dion D. Somerville. Thank you for listening today. Whether this is your first time with us or if you're a longtime follower, we are so happy that you're joining us as we explore the issues and meet the people who are important to Northwest Ohio and to Owens Community College. Please enjoy our previous episodes and subscribe to Conversations to join us for future episodes. Today, I am so excited to welcome Dr. Sarah Burke, Chair of and Assistant Professor in Owens Physical Therapist Assistant Program. Dr. Burke earned her bachelor's degree in biology from Ohio State University Lima Campus and her doctorate in physical therapy at the University of Findlay. She started her career as a physical therapist at ProMedica, where she worked in home care for close to seven years. Dr. Burke began her Owens career in 2008 as an adjunct faculty member in the science department. She began teaching in the physical therapist assistant program as an instructor in 2016. She rose to the rank of assistant professor in 2021 and left the faculty in January 2023 to become the department's chair. She'd been a member of the college's facilities, presidential teaching award selection, faculty rank, and various hiring committees. She has also been an integral member of the interprofessional leadership team in our School of Nursing and Health Professions. Dr. Burke has won several awards, including Owen School of Nursing and Health Professions Teaching Excellence Award, the American Association of Community College Dale P. Parnell Faculty Distinction Recognition, and Owen's Presidential Teaching Award. A licensed physical therapist who resides in Finley, Dr. Burke is a member of the Ohio Physical Therapist Assistant Educators Consortium, the American Physical Therapy Association, and past chair of the Northwest District of the Ohio Physical Therapy Association. Dr. Burke is an important part of Owens Community College, and we're so excited that she has agreed to join us for a conversation. Hi, Dr. Burke, and thank you for being our guest today. Dr. Sarah Burke, welcome to the Conversations podcast. I'm so excited. You are the first internal guest, the first faculty person, and I'm thrilled beyond just you being the Presidential Teaching Award winner and recipient this year, but you have a really neat background, and there's a lot that you have to share that I really think embodies who we are as an institution and the care and ethic we have for our students and what it is that we want people to understand about Owens and the Owens experience. We start every podcast with asking people, how did you know that you needed education beyond high school? And so what was that like for you? That's a great question. So in high school, when I was in high school, it felt like everybody had to go to college. There really wasn't a question of going to college or not going to college. You were going. If you wanted to have an experience outside of high school and have a meaningful career, a meaningful life, make money, things like that. I knew it was something I wanted to do because I had high expectations of myself from an early age, knowing that I wanted to go into the medical field, go into healthcare. Um, so I knew it was something that I was going to pursue anyway. I had a lot of great uh, instructors in high school and a lot of support from my family to do it. Um, I knew I was a high achiever early, so I felt like it was something that I could do pretty successfully. So it wasn't even a question. It's like you just knew that was the trajectory and, and where you wanted to go. Yeah. And so you mentioned being a high achiever and having early academic success. When did you know that science and healthcare was the path for you? I had a really influential high school biology teacher, mm -hmm. and she inspired me 
from the beginning to enjoy anatomy, even if that was dissecting dead cats and dead frogs at the time. Um, thankfully, that's not my uh, choice now, but um, she really inspired me to love anatomy and the body and understanding that um, more like a puzzle. The body is um, a puzzle to me, and I really enjoy problem-solving the body. So she inspired me early to um, get into healthcare. I originally wasn't thinking physical therapy. I was originally thinking uh, medicine. I wanted to be a doctor. Mm -hmm. And um, my ideas on that and thoughts on that changed as I learned how I wanted to actually help people. Mm -hmm. I wanted to help them one-on-one to get better, but also to educate them about their bodies and to be more proactive than reactive in their um, in their recoveries. So it was through your educational process that kind of your horizons changed and your viewpoint on a variety of different careers deepened, and that's what took you to physical therapy. Mm-hmm. That's pretty awesome. And your background is at Ohio State and the University of Findlay. Are there any things that you look at now, being in higher education, working in higher education, that you draw upon from your student experiences and how they shape what it is you do and what you bring to your everyday working life? When I was at the University of Finley um, getting my graduate degree in physical therapy, mm-hmm. I was nervous because I thought, well, I'm just a number. I'm just someone in the graduate program. My experience getting into the University of Finley was quite interesting. I had applied, and I didn't get accepted the first time around, which was something that was an unusual experience for me. I had been a high achiever. I had gotten really good grades. And so to not be accepted initially on the first round was kind of shocking and a little bit irritating, honestly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought, what did I do? What mistake did I make? Um, but then I ended up getting accepted just a few weeks before orientation started. Mm-hmm. And from that moment, um, right after I got my acceptance letter, I went into the program director's office and I said, you have not made a mistake accepting me into your program. I'm going to do right by your program. I'm going to be a great clinician. This is what I want. This is what I love. And I followed through on that. And his belief in me um, to do that was really supportive. Mm-hmm. Um, then getting into the program and finding a friend who I'd gone to high school with who was also in the same program as me was mm-hmm. a great connection. The, the team of faculty, as I look back on it now as an instructor, I feel like they were really influential in making us feel like we were all a part of a group. We were part of a family. We were all part of a higher mission. We Mm -hmm. weren't just students. We weren't just a number. We weren't just a balance on a budget sheet at the end of the day. We were people that they cared about. They wanted us to be their colleagues. Um, They treated us like their colleagues from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And I knew that that's what I wanted to inspire in my students, that they could feel comfortable coming to me, that I was their partner and not their enemy, Mm -hmm. Um, and that it wasn't a case of, look right, look left, one of you won't be here next semester, but look right, look left, these are your teammates, and we have to do this together. That carried out through my whole college experience, and that's something I really wanted to carry through um, when I got into education. It's really interesting to hear you talk about that ethic of care, that collegialism, setting the tone of professionalism, all of that that you experience that really comes through with how you practice today. That's pretty amazing. 
So a lot of our listeners aren't on our campus. Actually, probably most of them aren't on our campus and might not be familiar with some of the terminology that we use. And so can you help our listeners understand what is a department chair and what is it that drew you to wanting to move from being a physical therapist to faculty member to a department chair? So a department chair is someone who's managing the department, so my department is the physical therapist assistant department, so I'm managing things and people, so not only the the day-to-day of scheduling of the uh, classes through each curriculum, but also who's teaching, helping to mentor faculty, and then also managing the program budget, what equipment do we need, what new technology do we need in the classroom to make our students effective out in the clinic, things like that. I have enjoyed and loved being in front of students all day, every day for several years, and One of the things that I've come to realize after I got into education, which was not an easy step for me, I have always loved educating. I've always loved helping people understand. But then I became a clinician and I thought, well, this is what I went to school for. I'm supposed to treat patients. And so then deciding to go into the classroom, I thought, gosh, have I abandoned myself as who I am as a clinician? And then over time, I've come to this beautiful realization that I can touch more patients through my students than I ever could as myself as an individual. And that's what really pulls me into education and and teaching. Being now the chair of the program, I'm interested to see how I can affect student success and our program success in a little bit of a different way. Mm -hmm. Instead of being in front of them, teaching the curriculum, how can I do it from a back end? What experiences can I set up for them? from a a 30,000 foot view versus being in the classroom face to face with them. Um, So that's where my interests are and what I'm excited to do. That's awesome. You're really talking about your sphere of influence and how you're able to have a greater impact on people through education and through your experience with the students and leading your department. And so one of the things, and you've touched upon this a little bit, but one of the strengths of our faculty here is that they have real-world experience. That's one of our strengths, and particularly in a lot of the clinical fields. In your opinion, what can we do to support our faculty to make sure that they maintain their professional development and clinical practice, that they're up-to-date on trends, things of that nature, especially as so many professions are changing very rapidly? One of the things that's helpful on the clinical side, so going from the field into education isn't an easy step. Step. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's a little bit of imposter syndrome, wondering, I'm a great clinician in the field. I'm great in my healthcare practice. How do I help educate students and, and help them be effective like I know I am? One of the things that the college supports is participation in some of the AQ, Association of College and University Educators courses, which really have a heavy focus on um, clinician to classroom mm-hmm. um, transition, education, and professional development. Having experienced several of those courses myself, I feel like that's one of the most beneficial professional development opportunities that we provide at Owens. Mm -hmm. Supporting faculty, going to um, their healthcare conferences, and um, not just uh, for their own discipline. So for me, American Physical Therapy Association, Ohio Physical Therapy Association, um, but to other educational development opportunities. In physical therapy, there's a push yearly under several platforms that... Um, individuals going into education who don't have an understanding or or training or professional development to do that, every year they're running courses to help faculty to do that. I think supporting that initiative and faculty interest in attending that type of professional development is really helpful, going from 
field to classroom, and then vice versa too to, to see the trends in healthcare um, and practice coming into the classroom. So AQ, the different conferences that are related to the field of study and that transition, because you, you mean you bring up a really good point that just because you're a great practitioner doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be a great faculty member. And so how is it that, that we support and help folks transition with the skills that they need mm-hmm. um, to be able to be great at both? You're known for your ability to engage your students and to ensure their success. What are some of the strategies that you use both in the classroom and outside the classroom? In the classroom, I really enjoy, much to my students' chagrin, using popsicle sticks with their names on them. (laughs) It seems very elementary, but it is extremely effective. Um, We have color-coded sticks. We try to make them very fun. Um, But at the end, when they graduate, they're really happy to have their stick back. Um, I was told during COVID when I was lecturing online that the students could hear me shuffling the sticks through the audio of the classroom uh-huh. and they said it instantly were nervous and alert. Oh my gosh, she's got her sticks with her. She's going to draw my name. I have to be paying attention. It's too funny. Um, but we That's one way to battle Zoom fatigue, right? right? Exactly. I have your sticks and I do, we say that often. Does anyone have an answer for me or what are your ideas? And silence. Well, I have the sticks and now the hands are going up you know, and, they're, and they're interested. <laughs> but the sticks have been really helpful because we, we put the students' names, but then we also put their primary learning preference mm-hmm. um, on the stick. So we are really intentional about um, drawing out individuals who are maybe auditory primary or kinesthetic primary, visual, read, and write learners um, with the use of the sticks to help engage them in the classroom based on whatever concept we're teaching, um, but then also to make sure everybody's awake and paying attention, knowing mm-hmm. that their stick might be the next one to be drawn. Um, in the classroom, we do a lot, I do a lot of elbow buddy discussions. So I say, okay, turn to your elbow partner. Let's have a discussion. I really enjoy that tactic. Think, pair, share, we use a lot, um, as well as elevator speech. You know, can you turn to your partner and everything we just talked about, can you say it back to them in a minute or less? What were the main concepts? Um, so a lot of student-to-student reaffirmation of what they've learned, um, confirmation that they're they're comfortable in what they've just learned and then providing that safe space for, yep, we couldn't have a great thing pair share because we didn't really understand what you were asking. Mm -hmm. In the classroom, I really don't allow my students (laughs) to, um, say that they don't know something Mm -hmm. and that's really frustrating for them at the beginning. But over time they understand that I'm just trying to help them become a more independent learner and independent thinker and help them become comfortable in their own self that they know more than what they think they do, whether or not they know it and whether or not they think it's what I'm looking for. I really don't care if they answer the answer right. I just want to know, okay, you might not have a direct answer. What do you know that can help you get there? So we just do a lot of, I do a lot of student-centered support learning in the classroom to to reduce imposter syndrome but also to reduce any um, you know wariness or or judgment or fear um, student to student in Mm -hmm. the classroom outside of the classroom we do our best to engage the students in our professional memberships um, at the state and national level Um, the students are also highly engaged in a lot of city and county activities Mm -hmm. last friday um, the second-year students who are going out to clinical uh, went to the Wood County Board of DD's Assistive Technology House, which okay. just opened in July, and um, visited the inclusive uh, playground Carter or the accessible playground Carter Park in Bowling Green. Mm-hmm. Um, so we try to get them out into the community, see what resources there are for them, 
because then they can take that into the clinic and when they're treating their patients have had this visual kinesthetic hands-on experience with what's available out in the community for them to access. Well, and it sounds like that also helps them understand the breadth of the field of what physical therapy is and can be and, you know, the different places where it reaches that people may not always think of. You know, you might think of the clinic down the road or, you know, after you've had an injury or an accident or whatever the case may be, but it's so much broader than that. Mm -hmm. One of the interesting things, too, about some of your student inside the classroom methodology is that you're also creating community. You're also helping them with their own communication skills. I mean, there's so much that's packed into what you're doing. And some of it actually, it's almost like it serves not only as a checkpoint for the students of, okay, do I know this? You know, kind of like when they go to a tutoring or a recitation type of session. But it also is almost formative assessment for you as well. I'm sure that was absolutely intentional given how wonderful you are. But um, but can you talk a little bit about that and what that kind of feedback means for you as a faculty member? The students, when they have me in class, they know that they have to come prepared, almost ready for anything. The sticks, again, always in the background (laughs) or in my hand typically. But they come and we do we do a quick assessment right at the beginning. We do a quiz right at the start of class over what they read, and that gives me some instant direction as to where I need to take my lecture. Where Mm -hmm. are there holes in understanding? Where could there be clarification? but you're right, when when they're discussing, and I think, boy, I've really nailed this concept. I'm mm-hmm. sure they've got it under their belt. Um, in that moment, they can be turning to each other and saying, wow, I really didn't understand that. When just a moment before, I asked if anybody had any questions, and no <laughs> hands go up. And I draw a few sticks, no questions, no questions. Okay, cool. Well, then talk to your partner. Talk to your elbow partner. You know, what questions do you have over this? Can you say back what I've just said to you? And then a few more sticks, and now we've got some really great discussion. And I think for students in in micro program and all of the healthcare programs at Owens, this is really helpful because when they go out to clinic and they're actually triaging patients and trying to work through a plan of care or deliver um, a great imaging experience or a comfortable stay in the hospital or a scary transition to home, these are moments where I've received written orders from maybe my PT or or the doctor or um, you know another supervising professional of what I need to do. Do I actually understand what I have to do and what that means? And then in that moment, no, I'm realizing I don't, and I feel comfortable because I've practiced being vulnerable in the classroom. I feel comfortable now raising those questions to make sure no one gets hurt and that all the services get provided timely, efficiently. Um, which all provide really great outcomes in the field. We talk in in different settings about how is it that we need to be a student-ready institution, and you're doing it. And so it's it's pretty awesome because, you know, your students bring who they are, and your style really helps accommodate and bring out the ability to learn regardless of what their background is, what their comfort level is, and to help them grow into the professionals that that we graduate every year. So that is absolutely wonderful. And so you've been teaching for more than 15 years. Mm -hmm. I realize we talked about it like, you know, it was just yesterday uh, that you just started, but it's, it's been a long time. How have you seen our students change, evolve, grow? I mean, a lot has happened to student populations, even if you, you know, don't even consider the pandemic. And so how are they different now than when you first started? I think that there are differences 
but I think that a lot of the challenges remain the same. Mm -hmm. um, I think back to when I was a student, and I mean, that was many years ago, but the challenges I think are, still exist. I think the intensity of the challenges are, are different now. Um, I was reading a study in, in 2021, almost 60% of community college students stated that they were considering leaving their institution because of mental health challenges and concerns. Um, and that's something that I don't think 10 or 15 years ago was really on the forefront of, of anyone's mind as to why a student might leave the classroom. Mm -hmm. Typically, we think about it being work. Students are coming to community college so they can balance work and life. And then work gets in the way. They're needing to provide for family or um, you know, make money to live and survive, but then also to go to school. That definitely still exists. Um, and the work-life balance, too, with the, with the mental health challenges, I think, present a really interesting perspective for our students now where, having come off the pandemic, there's a lot of new cognitive load and stress compared to prior to. And um, I think that really affects how we as an institution view those challenges, but then also how we support them. Maybe 15 or 20 years ago, that wasn't our main focus, but now it definitely is, mm -hmm. um, which is really interesting. And you're right. I mean, I, I think... You, you see more and more studies that talk about mental health or how it's a little more uh, normalized to discuss. But I think that that's where the awareness from throughout the institution is hugely important. I mean, students, I think, you know, some do, some don't know that we have counseling services. But I think a lot of times having people who care about them recognize, you know, where some of the need may be and make sure they get that touch on the shoulder of, you know, are you okay? Or, you know, can I help you with something? Or do, do you know about XYZ? I think is hugely important for all of our students. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So as you know, firsthand healthcare and our school of nursing and health professions is going through a renovation and expansion. We're very excited about that. I'm sure you're probably more excited than even we are. Extremely excited. <laughs> yes. We're thrilled. The space just sounds like it's going to be absolutely wonderful. And so the healthcare industry overall, as you know, is important to this region. Um, and growth has been incredible. I mean, some of our partners have told us that they expect significant vacancies and needs for years to come. And so it's not even just a, you know, immediate term issue. And so we're very well positioned. We, you know, like to share that we have the number one nursing program in, in the region. Can you talk a little bit from inside the industry in terms of the healthcare programs overall? And what, what is it that you think makes healthcare at Owens so successful? And how can we scale that success and continue to grow? So in the healthcare industry, all across the board, shortages in almost all professions. Um, I think that will continue. We have been talking for years about the baby boomer generation aging and their need for further health care. But even beyond that, there's a shift in culture of reactive care to proactive care mm -hmm. and we can't be proactive as as a healthcare industry without really instilling that in our students, meeting patients where they're at, really understanding what their needs are, and then foreseeing and helping them to plan for the future of their healthcare. That comes not only from us in, in the classroom and helping students understand that need and that eventual push, but also graduating students and helping to supply the workforce with, with those individuals. 
in Ohio, from a physical therapy perspective, we are in a shortage of somewhere between 20 and 30 percent in physical therapy um, in in, um, supplying that need and demand. The um, industry in therapy will continue to grow over almost 30 percent over the next several years. We have in Ohio the fourth highest employment of physical therapists and physical therapist assistants, and yet we still have a shortage. So that tells me that nationwide, if we have the fourth highest employment rate and we mm-hmm. still have a shortage, that's not good for everyone below us and not good for any anybody, you know, ab- <laughs> above or below us. So um, it's kind of kind of frightening to think about. One thing that I think we do well as um, a school of nursing and health, we talk often in our team meetings about how we can support students and help them to completion and be mm-hmm. successful. One thing that we're very intentional about is having that touch on the shoulder, that conversation, that meaningful pull out into the hallway, how can I help you? Um, but also really making sure that when they're in the classroom that they know everything that they're learning is is important and intentional for how the future of the profession will grow. Um, and I think that's something almost like lightning in a bottle that we capture here, where we are extremely intentional and extremely student-focused in their success. And even when you go back to some of your teaching methods Mm -hmm. and then engaging students in their national organizations, things of that nature, you're not only teaching them how to be good entry-level professionals, but you're setting them up for that lifelong learning, for that continuing education, and to learn and evolve, because none of these fields are going to stay static. Mm -hmm. And so that learning how to learn is huge and part of what what you instill in them. So physical therapy assistants, and you you talked about this a little bit in particular, are also experiencing shortage. And you talked about 20 to 30 percent. You know, why is that? You know, it's been very well publicized, some of what's happening with nursing Mm -hmm. and the whole impact of the pandemic. But, you know, as you go through a lot of our programs, I've often wondered, do people understand what they are? You know, a physical therapy assistant, you know, search tech, other programs, things like that. Are there certain factors that are unique to PTA that may be different from other health fields? I don't know that there's necessarily something different. I think there's a struggle now in productivity overall as a healthcare system, the demands of productivity, especially in physical therapy, being something that we're fighting at a national level of how do we provide efficient, effective care, but also have a good mental health balance while we're there caring for very sick ill individuals, helping them work through their struggles too. To be 95% effective when I walk into a nursing home means that I barely have time to to walk from room to room to see my patients. I barely have time to use the bathroom or to grab a quick snack to do all of my documentation. It's a really hard standard to meet. And I think that that's something nationally, um, not just in PTA, but that all healthcare professions are battling is this idea of, of productivity, also insurance reimbursement. There are a lot of challenges when it comes to reimbursement for services provided, Mm -hmm. and I think that in tune with the productivity as well as um, a reduced entry-level pay um, and wage in some of these fields can't really be competed with in other jobs out on the market. Telling a student that, yes, at the end of two years, you will be a healthcare professional with an entry-level practicing degree. You can start treating patients and making differences in people's lives is Mm -hmm. really helpful and meaningful to those who really feel it. But if they can make more money per hour 
um, doing a different job in a different industry in a different position, why come and why have that education? Why go through all of all of that? It really takes someone who wants to do that deep down to commit to that and to see it through to the end. So I think that's something that we're fighting as a healthcare industry is we need people to take care of people. We mm-hmm. also need to compensate those individuals and recognize there needs to be better balance in the clinic, in the hospital, um, out in the doctor's offices of, um, if, if you want me to take care of someone, you got to give me the time to do it. And then you need to give me some time to have my own space too, to decompress from, from the challenges that I'm experiencing with them and how I'm helping them through that. And when you think about you know, a lot of industries, you know, some of the most important industries that are foundational to us as a society and to people, you know, we talk about teachers and educators overall, um, and concerns there and healthcare professionals overall, it makes a lot of sense. And you, you think about how those come to play, not only now, you know, here, but on a national scale, and how some of that conversation has evolved over the years. You know, you think about when some of that evolution or revolution, however you would want to term it in terms of insurance, and some of the efficiency modeling that, you know, it sounds as though we still have a little ways to go to be able to make sure that we're doing things to make people want to stay Mm -hmm. in this profession outside of, you know, in addition to or to complement their passion for taking care of people in the way that they've chosen. Absolutely. So I am very proud that we continue, that Owens continues to play a leadership role in the community and, and among community colleges. And one of the examples you were very much involved with, and that was when our faculty led a countywide training focused on nursing and health professions and developmental disabilities earlier this year for bettering patient outcomes. This event really was focused on the interdisciplinary, interprofessional education, and it aligned healthcare professions from throughout the region. And so can you talk a little bit about why this interdisciplinary approach is increasingly important in healthcare and how we're incorporating it um, into our programming here, and even how it has a role and impact in the renovation and expansion of our School of Nursing and Health Professionals facility. Um, there's kind of two trains of thought or two paths to follow when it comes to this education. So there's interprofessional education and then interprofessional collaborative practice. Okay. So with interprofessional education, students are from different disciplines and professions are teaching each other and learning from each other about what they do. How do they um, impact the patient? What are their roles? Um, how can they be great team members? How can they effectively communicate when they're, mm-hmm. when they're taking care of patients? interprofessional collaborative practice then is the doing part, the kinesthetic Mm -hmm. part of now I have said that yes, I need to communicate with this radiographer, I need to communicate with this medical assistant or this nurse or the surge tech about XYZ problem, am I actually going to do it and can I make that moment happen? And am I practicing what I'm learning and saying that I'm going to do to create a great patient experience and a safe patient experience with great outcomes in the future? So those two lines of thought are really important to think of as a connected piece when it comes to education. So at Owens, twice a year, the interprofessional education team is putting on an event where all health professions are attending, students from all health professions, and working through some of these connected themes and and challenges that our patients might face. So we talk about the cost of healthcare. We talk about transportation disparities, alternative medicine, um, health literacy. We also discuss HIPAA. And all of these conversations are things that all health professionals are going to have to come across when they're, when they're in collaborative practice. Mm-hmm. 
Um, with the event that we hosted earlier this year, we're looking at how do we connect that then with the community. It's not just collaborative practice myself to everyone in my hospital or in my in my doctor's office or my therapy clinic, but then in the community. Mm-hmm. I need to be able to collaborate with um, a county service or a city service or uh, a local health partner that can provide my patient with the care that they need and also then be able to communicate that effectively with the whole care team that's taking care of that patient. So we're trying to provide a very well-rounded discussion about IPE and um, collaborative practice so that students understand. It's not just about knowing, but it's also about the doing part too. Mm -hmm. What we're doing in between our health programs, program to program, is we're really intentional about setting up small um, uh, program to program moments of education. So as an example, next week, the PTA students are helping the radiography students really know and learn really well how to put a gate belt on. We're the (laughs) experts in gate belt application, and so we're helping them to know exactly how they need to do it very safely and effectively for their patients, transferring them on and off of their um, tables for for imaging. Mm -hmm. Um, But there are many of these small connections happening within our health professions, and it's just another way here that we're from a very small micro level, one assignment, one touch point, one two-hour conversation, trying to get programs together in this IPE and collaborative practice mindset from the beginning, from mm-hmm. the beginning of their education. Every semester, can we try to do something or have them involved in an event that um, drives home this? Because if we want to shift in the culture, if we want to shift in patient outcomes and, and great efficiency, we really need great communication and collaborative teamwork. Mm-hmm. And to do that, we need to be graduating students and sending them out already in that mindset, ready to go, so they can start influencing others who maybe mm-hmm. didn't have that education or had a very siloed education um, because it's, we can't be siloed anymore in the healthcare industry. It, right. it hasn't led to effective care, and um, it won't. We have to be collaborative. So it's our job to, to provide that at these entry-level positions, these graduates that are going out. So in our new facilities, we'll have um, some really great spaces to create these moments together within our building. Um, we'll have simulation centers where um, students from multiple programs can come down and participate in collaborative practice over fake patients. Our best and most favorite patient is Mr. Owen, of course. <laughs> um, so he will continue to live long and steady in our in our new uh, facilities. But uh, it will be so great to have students come and really have um, – intentional conversations more often than just twice a year or mm-hmm. program to program. Um, if the if the center is available, could we get multiple students coming in and, and really thinking about how they communicate as a team, how they can be collaborative, and learning a little bit about what, you, what each other does, um, just to be a very well-rounded clinician, an effective clinician uh, in the future. And it goes back to something you said earlier that, you know, if they get to practice this here, then when they leave and go out into the profession, then this is something that will be familiar to them. I've got to ask, what's a gate belt? <laughs> Very, I feel privileged that I don't know. Yeah. It means I didn't need it, whatever it was. Yeah. This very lovely, stylish uh, piece of equipment going around the waist with a belt just to keep patients safe when we're transferring or when we're walking. Okay. Um, they're, Thank you. They're, they're hideous. But some come in really very nice colors. So, yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. <laughs> so part of what we've talked about really kind of leads into the conversation about partnerships and how they're really important for us and what it is that we do. 
And, you know, we can't educate our students in the health professions without those partnerships. You know, it's not only the clinical settings, but it's the advisory boards. It's the formal and informal, you know, conversations about, you know, their their needs and what's transforming and all of that. Can you talk a little bit about the partners that have played a really integral role in the PTA program um, and how those partnerships are vital to our students' experiences? To your point, we can teach skills upside down and sideways, left to right, all day long in the lab, but until students get out and actually start practicing with patients, then um, that's really where the magic happens. Uh, Without our clinical partners, um, I know that we would not be able to provide the community with Um, are exceptional graduates, especially from our our PTA program. All of our healthcare professions um, rely really heavily for that clinical experience, and it's not only just the facility um, or the institution, like a Promedica or a Mercy, um, a PT link, things like that, but also the small, in therapy, the small individual clinics who are willing to take on a student and help them learn and and understand, um, you know, how to apply their skills. The other part to that, too, is not just from an institution, but it's about the people. It's mm-hmm. the people that are on our advisory board. It's the people that are actually spending the time with the student and helping them. Um, they, too, have a shared desire that I do to be a clinician and also an educator, um, whereas I'm an educator first and then a clinician second. Now they are still their clinician primary and then educating students as they come into their clinic. And that's something that we all can come together on. And that shared trust is really important in um, our community and, and a dual relationship, too. If, if you can help me provide the community with this great clinician, this smart clinician, this safe clinician, then um, you now have, in addition to your workforce, I can help fill some of the um, gaps that you have. And we can just reciprocate, um, which is really healthy and really um, exciting out in the community to have such strong partnership. Absolutely it is. I think that that's one of the strengths of of Owens overall, but definitely of our School of Nursing and Health Professions. One of the last questions I have for you, you know, we talked a lot about, you know, your, your ethic of care and how you work with your students and passion about all of that, but you do more than just what your job description would allude to. Um, You're very involved in in campus and communities, things of that nature. And, you know, you consult with our chairs council. You've been on different facility committees, faculty rank committee, all sorts of things. Tell me why. Why did you want to do this? First of all, we're we're very thrilled that you're doing this because (laughs) I think it shows incredible ownership and empowerment. But why is it important for faculty and staff to be involved at the institutional level? I know that I can't have a pulse on what's happening in the community if I'm not involved in the community. And if I want that great community and campus connection, then I need to be involved. I feel like it's my duty to provide a great graduate, provide a great clinician for the community to serve, but I can't know what that is or what that means if I'm not understanding what the pulse is of not only the school but also in the community. I think it's important for faculty and staff and administration, everyone who plays a role in this desire to help people. We're all just people. We're all just trying to feel good, move well, be independent, and so in this shared goal, Um, If we can stay in tune with what's going on, then that just helps me become a greater educator. It helps me provide better opportunities for my students. Um, If I didn't know about 
um, the assistive tech house in BG, I wouldn't have sent my students there, but I know about that because I'm interested in what's going on at the, at the county and the community level. Um, I don't know about the University of Finley's IPE event they're holding in October that we're attending unless I'm involved with, with them on some community level. So um, I can't provide an enriching and transformational, inclusive, empowering moment for my students if I don't have a pulse on what's going on on campus but also in the community. Um, and so I, I guess I just feel like that's my duty to to do that. My students are relying on me to do that and provide them with a great experience. And so I feel like I need to do that for them. Awesome. And you do it very well. Thank you. <laughs> Dr. Sarah Burke, it was an absolute pleasure to be able to talk to you today. I'm thrilled that you are the first faculty member to be on the Conversations podcast. It was a joy having you. And I look forward to more wonderful things to come from you around campus. Thank you. Thank you so much. Dr. Burke, thank you so much for being with us. Every time we talk, I'm struck by your commitment to our students, to innovation in the classroom, and to our college. You are very engaged in Owens and in the broader community. We're grateful for your dedication. Thank you for your time today, and thank you to all of our listeners. Remember to subscribe and join us for future conversations. Until next time, take care. Take care.